0: This is the All About 80s Music Podcast with John Micek and Steve Ogello. Hey, this is Steve
1: Ogello, and I'm here with John Micek. Happy New Year, Steve. Happy New Year, John. When rock singers in the 80s needed a way to show their sensitive side but still keep their edge, they did it through the power ballad, a slow tempo song with a heavy edge feel. Join us as we discuss some of the best from the greatest decade. This is going to be a lot of fun, so let's not waste any time and get right into it. So, John, while the 70s saw big, beautiful slow songs from Barry Mallow, Air Supply, Carpenters, Bee Gees, the 80s took that formula and rocked it out, making it cool to sing a love song, but disguising it behind a slow tempo rock tune that we now call the Power ballad. Looking at some of the rock bands from the 80s, as well as the pop artists that took a dive into this musical structure... I'd love to get your initial thoughts on the special type of song that people in our generation have a certain soft spot for.
0: You know, Steve, uh, Cambridge University's press academic journal, Popular Music, uh, says that it defines the power ballad as a song that uses both a musical formula based on constant escalation and expressive formula that combines the euphoric uplift created by rousing music with sentimental themes and ploys. But I don't really think that does it full justice. The power ballad, Steve, for me, at its peak was the essential 1980s love song. They're the slow dance with the girl at the high school dance that you finally pluck up the nerve to talk to. They're the pivotal love scene moment in a movie like Top Gun. They're the moment in the live show when the lighters come out and the couples join hands and sway in time to the music. They're schmalsy, but, you know, they can be transformative, too.
1: Absolutely. And well said. What's your first song on the power ballad list today? You know,
0: Steve, we're talking a lot about when people think about the power ballad, they think about heavy metal bands. But I'm going to take a left turn out of the gate. My first pick is Through the Barricades by English New Wave poppers, uh, Spandau Ballet, you know, best known on these shores for true, uh, for gold, they kind of thought of as an easy listening band. But Steve, in 1986, uh, burnished by a couple of years of touring on the road behind the Parade album, Uh, Spandau, in the words of lead songwriter Gary Kemp, became a fully-fledged rock outfit, and they made a record in Through the Barricades that reflected that. Heavier guitars, heavier drums, uh, really dramatic vocals from uh, lead singer Tony Hadley, and Through the Barricades... You know, Kemp and, and the rest of Spando regard this as as their finest moment on vinyl. Open softly with uh, with a finger-picked acoustic guitar line, you know, a couple of verses, a couple of choruses, and then kablam, John Keel comes in on drums, Kemp comes in on um, electric guitar, and the song really takes off. There's a lovely soprano sax line by sax player Steve Norman, and this was a, a deeply personal song for the band. Uh, Written about their roadie, uh, a guy from Belfast named Thomas Kinso Riley. They'd hired him to sell merch during the 83 tour and uh, enjoyed his upbeat personality. Um, He was unfortunately shot to death in Northern Ireland um, in an encounter with with English forces. Uh, He later became the first British soldier convicted of murder while serving in Northern Ireland. And later on, while uh, Spandau were staying... In Ireland, uh, someone took Gary Kemp to the scene of, of where this was, and the the barricades there, and, and the song just kind of flowed by itself. It's about reaching across barricades, about reaching through divisions to try and to try to find healing, um, and peace. And, you know, it never really took off on our side of the pond, Steve, but it was pretty massive across the Atlantic. Uh, number two in Spain, number three in the Netherlands, number four in Ireland, number six in the UK singles chart. And when you ask people in Europe what they think of and they think of I'll sure, they think it's true, but they also think of Through the Barricades.
1: Nice. I had no idea that it was it was a top ten charting hit in Europe. That's pretty awesome. But, you know, I, I had to go back and re-listen to this song just to convince myself that it was truly a power ballad. And the reason, of course, is because when you think of Spandau, the words power ballad really don't immediately come to mind. But this song definitely fits. It was released in 86, so it was right in that sweet time spot. I loved the video that showed Tony Hadley in his short debonair haircut. And uh, it was nice to see that the band was dressed in all black, which was a total change for them. So kudos to Spandau for throwing us a curveball on this one and a really solid single as well. Absolutely. Steve, your number one pick. I'm starting off with Journey's Open Arms. And the reason I'm doing this was because the song was recorded in 1981 and released in January of 1982. And for me, it signifies the first ever power ballad. It also, I feel, provided the structure for all the power ballads of the 80s that followed it. So if you look at the evolution of the power ballad, it really all started here with the song. And then it morphed into sort of almost paradise. And then it picked up tons of heaviness um, in the mid 80s by all the hair bands. If you look back on Journey, following Greg Raleigh's departure, keyboardist and songwriter Jonathan Kane joined Journey in 1980. And that's where the group transitioned from being sort of this jam band to a classic rock sounding band and then turning into the pop rock band that they're known for and they're famous for and that we all love Journey for now. Um, it was Jonathan Cain who introduced Open Arms and the song Faithfully into the band's repertoire. Um, and that really changed the future of Journey and the future of rock music going forward. The song Open Arms was perfect because it featured a beautiful song that Jonathan Kane played piano on, but... It also had the incredible talent of Neil Sean doing his thing on guitar. That combination, along with Steve Smith on the drums, really set the stage for all of these ballads going forward. It was copied, in my opinion, from all the bands that that came after them through the decade. And, and it was that recipe that showed the rock guys and girls how to write a meaningful song while still showing your sensitive side and, and still keeping your edge. So it, it's this song that holds for me really the recipe for all the power ballads that followed. And I think it's important to note, and you touched on this in your opening, that when people from our generation think of their prom song, in most cases, it's the power ballad from the 80s.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, Steve, ironically enough, this was a song that almost didn't make it onto Escape, the album where wow. it appeared. Kane began writing the song while he was still a member of the Babies, which famously featured John Waite on lead vocals. Waite turned it down because, quote, he thought it was sentimental or rubbish. Paine eventually finished writing the song with Steve Perry. They changed the key from A to D and tweaked the melody slightly. Neil Sean reportedly disliked the song because, quote, it was so far removed from anything Journey had ever attempted to record before. Uh, Steve Smith recalled that Sean thought it sounded, quote, like Mary Poppins, and the other members didn't like it because they were against performing power ballads. But, Steve, they included it. It was a decision that ended up paying them dividends because Journey kind of cornered the market, on, uh, on power ballads from there on out, uh, showcasing Steve Perry's multi-octave range really became you know, their, kind of their uh, bread and butter. But it was one of those moments where if history had zigged instead of zagged, you know, who, knew what, right. who knew what would have happened?
1: That's right. Kudos to Jonathan Kane for launching this whole different subgenre of rock music.
0: And we will, I will note before, before we leave this, uh, it has been covered on multiple occasions by no less than Mariah Carey. Dolly Parton, Celine Dion, uh, Barry Manilow, and uh, Steve. If you want to audition on The Voice or American Idol or X Factor, we're probably going to be trotting out open arms. It's been a mainstay on there as well.
1: All right, John, who do
0: you got? I'm Steve. I'm I'm going to zip across the border to the north to Canada for "What Does It Take" by Canadian big rockers Honeymoon Suite from their second album, The Big Prize, produced by Bruce Fairbairn. Uh, if American listeners know this song, it's because it was the coda to a film called One Crazy Summer, uh, starring John Cusack, Bob Kent Goldthwait, uh, the guy who played Booger, whose name escapes me um, at, at the moment. Um, it's one of those uh, savage Steve Holland movies that were such a staple in the 1980s, Better Off Dead being the other one. You know, Steve, this is, again, one of those... Uh, power ballad that's got it all. It's got the emotive lyric. It's got the overwrought vocals. It's got the keyboard solo, followed by the guitar solo, followed by the bridge, and then my personal favorite, the gear shift key change in the final chorus where they take the song up a full step, just building on on the emotion and building on the drama. It's got a keyboard hook for days. Honeymoon Suite never really made a big, big dent uh, in the American charts, you know, but kind of quickly came and went in the summer of 1986. Uh, but I've always had a soft spot for this one.
1: I'm really happy that we have an opportunity to talk about Honeymoon Suite. They were a band that so many of us have nice things to say about. And, and to me, they were similar to that band Jafria, if you remember Jafria from the mid 80s, in the way that They both came out with with a couple of great singles and everybody liked them, but then you really didn't hear too much after that. This song has such a memorable melody that really sticks with you. Like you said, such great keyboard sounds. And this song to me sums up what having a girlfriend in the 80s was really all about. The perfect recipe of so many ingredients working in the song. And I quickly want to mention to all the kids out there, all the young kids, that if you watch this video... Each member of the band actually features a different popular hairstyle of the time, right? It's definitely a good representation of 80s hair. If you look at each one of the members of the band, it's like a perfect snapshot of 1986 hair. And I'm not saying that to diminish the song in any way. I'm just throwing that in as a side note. Really, the, the, the
0: hair the hair is pretty glorious. The lead singer has got this Fuji kind of poodle mullet thing. The guitarist has got the classic uh, shredded wheat curly hair mullet past the shoulders uh, you got the you got the bass player in the black sleeveless cutoff t-shirt the keyboard player with the with the keyboard ponytail player. back behind
1: yes that, that's right perfect like 1986 dude right there on the keyboards it was it, was
0: it was peak mid-80s uh in that band i will say i will say that
1: all right so my i'm going with is this love by white snake from 1987 And so for me, this is definitely one of the best power ballads ever written, my personal favorite. What I always found interesting about this song was that it it was one of the power ballads that really illustrated that the drums could be played at full force during a slow, beautiful song. What I really want to focus on is the huge gorilla on this track, which, of course, is the guitar solo. One of the very best guitar solos of all time. Like I tell my son, um, who's just learning how to play guitar now, it takes somebody really extremely skilled to play a guitar solo of this level, both in feel and in tone and, and also in the execution, played by John Sykes with his signature guitar tone. This solo couldn't have been played by anyone else other than John Sykes. When you close your eyes and you listen to this solo, you can feel it so deep and it's really unlike any other piece of music out there. And by the way, I'm not talking about the guitar solo that's cut on the radio edit that so many of the rock stations have been playing uh, over the years. I'm talking about the full guitar solo that's on the album version. And if you look there on the YouTubes and all the other streaming services, you can find the remaster, a new remastered version of the song that has the solo in a bit of extended form. Just a few years ago, David Carverdale released a bunch of remasters, It's definitely worth seeking out. It's one of the best guitar solos of all time by one of the best rock guitarists of all time and um, one of the most loved power ballads by the legendary David Coverdale and the extremely talented John Sykes on the Whitesnake 87 album. Just the greatest.
0: You know, Steve, the proof is right there in the numbers classic rock magazine ranked at number seven in their top forty greatest power ballads um, of all time. I will confess I was never much of a white snake fan back in the day. I was I was fully into my uh, new wave era, despite my picking Honeymoon Sweet and their enormous hair just a couple of minutes ago. You and I have talked a lot about the Rock on Tours podcast that Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt host and how Coverdale's now come on there three times and has been Absolutely hysterical. Yeah. Every single time. The very first time he came on, though, he told this great story. And he told, them, well, originally we were going to write this for Tina Turner, which was okay. in fact the case. They wanted to give this song to Tina Turner. Uh, the label heard it. When Geffen, David Geffen heard it, he said, for God's sakes, keep the song. So they did. And uh, the rest is hard rock history. Um, I recommend for the listeners that a good track down that. Absolutely hilarious interview between Pratt and Kemp and Coverdale. He is quite the rock on tour, I have to say. A really great rock storyteller and just funny and dry as hell.
1: All right, who's next on your list? Steve, I'm going to stay in Canada. I'm picking Straight
0: from the Heart by Canadian rocker Brian Adams. You know, everyone picks Heaven from Reckless, uh, his breakthrough records, it was, it was just a stadium juggernaut of an album. You know, it's got You" on there. It's got somebody on there. It's got my favorite Brian Adams track, One Night Love Affair, on there. Um, um, the reason I, I, I picked that one is because it was in a montage scene and maybe one of my favorite 1980s films, Real Genius, starring Val Kilmer, where it was proven that you could be cool and funny and smart and a tremendous inspiration to a much younger me. This song was written by Eric Cagna, a Vancouver singer-songwriter, and Adams contributed The Bridge. Uh, the official songwriter credited shared equally between Adams and Cagna. Adams didn't release his version of the song until 1983, and the song was first recorded by a guy named Ian Lloyd in 1980 on his album Third Wave Civilization. Uh, and, if Steve, if you were watching early MTV there, you saw the cuts like a knife video. You saw the video from Straight from the Heart. This was the one that fired probably a million junior high school dances uh, in the early part of the 1980s. For me, I just I don't know. It's just a song that works. And it was Adams
1: before he got absolutely enormous in the United States. And, and you know, it's funny. I normally don't associate Brian Adams with power ballads. This song, As Well as Heaven, released in 1985, there are total power yeah. And it really speaks to the talent of Brian Adams' songwritings and the songwriters that he was associated with and, and how he put his albums together. He had so many hits throughout the greatest decade. And if you remember that epic ballad, Everything I Do, I Do For You, which was a big hit in 91 that went to like number one in 19 countries i mean he just and you couldn't you could
0: not escape it that summer from that robin hood movie with kevin costner it was just absolutely bloody everywhere
1: I, I think it sold 15 million copies worldwide too he was just a um a powerful force on radio in the 80s and it was just great to include brian in this lineup those two songs really fit the subgenre of power ballads so well and i'm glad we had a chance to talk about them
0: we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, The Secret Weapon in Adam's arsenal. His uh, producer and co-writer, a guy named Jim Valance, who was kind of the Bernie Taupin to Brian Adams' Elton John. He was the studio wizard. He was, he was heard but never seen, uh, really contributed a lot to Adam's body of work down the years, recorded that first class Tiger record, did a couple of co-writes with them as well. This was a guy who, who was invisible in the 1980s but had his mitts in just about everything.
1: Steve, your next one. So I'm going with Almost Paradise by Mike Reno and Ann Wilson from 1984. I think my sick that when a lot of people think of the words power ballad, this song immediately comes to mind. Um, it's so unapologetically good, almost to the point where it becomes a guilty pleasure to really like the song. I always liked Mike Reno, and I was happy that he ventured out from Lover Boy to team up with Ann Wilson, who's such a phenomenal singer. It was great that they scored this hit together in 1984 along with Eric Carmen, who wrote the song. Eric Carmen, you know, wrote Hungry Eyes, wrote the 70s huge hit All By Myself, one of the saddest songs of all time. And uh, it was part of the iconic movie Footloose. I was really looking forward to Mike Reno having some success on his own with this song, you know, away from Loverboy. You know, after the song, you just kind of decided to stick it out with Loverboy. And, and that was fine because I really love all those Loverboy songs so much. But I think Ann Wilson, too, she was kind of testing out the waters of a solo career. Obviously, she went back to heart as well. They just had a a mega decade in the 80s, like from 1985 to 1988 with all of their hits They were so huge. So I would probably say this is one of the most famous of all the power ballads and a damn good one at that.
0: You know, Steve, I I will say that this was, in the spring of 1984, the theme of the final junior high school dance of the year for me, Almost Paradise, because, you know, it was almost summer, so we were almost a paradise. It was heavy-handed in only the way a 14-year-old could be in uh, 1984. You know, this came off that hit-laden Footloose soundtrack, the Kenny Loggins title tune that was inescapable. Let's hear it for The Boy by Denise Williams and, of course, I will admit the song was never really my cup of tea, but if I break it down empirically, I recognize it for the sheer juggernaut that it was. You know, we'll talk about Heart in a couple of minutes. They just went on to have a massive decade in the 1980s. And, and I will say, I actually, I think you and I have talked about this before. I actually went to see Loverboy uh, in the summer of 1986, that's right. but that's only because the Hooters were opening. And sorry, Mike Reno, you know, we, we left after the Hooters set, my buddy Dean and I. What can I tell you? God bless them. It was it was a great song. It was a, you know, it was, it was a lightning in a bottle between two gigantic voiced uh, vocalists.
1: Great song. Who's next on your list? Uh,
0: all right. So, Steve, I'm going to toggle back up through my notes here. And uh, I'm going with the Smile Has Left Your Eyes ah. by English prog rock poppers Asia. I will say this. My wife wanted me to pick uh, Only Time Will Tell from their debut record. Uh, this one comes from their second album, Alpha. Um, and after this song, they would never again bother the U.S. charts in any meaningful way. John Wetton, the late John Wetton, the bass player and vocalist, wrote this a song about his bandmate Jeff Downs, the keyboard player. In a magazine interview, Wetton went said, "Quote: He was going through a complete emotional turmoil over a girl about a year and a half ago. Uh, identified so strongly that he went home, went home and wrote the song in five minutes. Sat down at the piano and boom, there it was." Uh, the video for this one is pretty iconic. It's the band scoring a uh, French TV show about a relationship breaking down. And the song's got a couplet that I've been carrying around, Steve, I swear to God, for the last 40 years that I can call up in my mind for, for, um, in, in almost seconds. And I become a Rolling Stone. I don't know where to go or what to call my own. It's, it's, it's that yearning, it's that it's that broken heart thing. Um, you've got some sublime keyboard work from Downs. You've powerful drumming from Carl Palmer. Uh, the guitar work from Steve Howe, and of course Wetton's uh, wonderful and emotive voice. It's got kind of everything in in one package.
1: Anything Asia is always welcome here on this podcast. So I'm sure you would agree, and. I was so happy when their first album came out. I, I loved their videos on MTV. I love that they got so much radio play in the early 80s and I love that they were really the first super group of the 80s, if you think about it. That's right? You had Asia, you had GTR, HSAS, The Firm, Mike and the Mechanics, the Travelling Wilburys, right? I'm sure I'm leaving a bunch out. But what a great time for music, and so many of us are so lucky to have enjoyed the musical experience in real time. This album, Alpha, boasted Don't Cry, which, which to me is an equally strong song, as the two hits heat of the moment and only time will tell from the first album. But the smile has left your eyes... I think is the closest thing to a power ballad of all their songs but to me it's not it's not even really a power ballad it's more of like an epic dramatic power ballad anthem if you will. Um just fantastically big and wonderful Anytime a gong makes its way onto a song, just, it's huge, right? So this song is just another reason why we love Asia so much.
0: Yeah, you know, again, like, they wouldn't bother the American charts after this one, but as a, as a musical statement, it's a, it's a pretty great bit of operatic uh, stadium pop. Um, it's unfortunate that John Wetton is no longer with us, but the rest of the guys are still doing their, doing their thing. Your next one, Steve.
1: Okay, so I'm going with Against All Odds, Phil Collins from the great year 1984. And you know, Mycic, there are just those songs that when you hear them, make you involuntarily start to cry. This is one of those for me. You know, it's such a profoundly beautiful, deep song. And, And the contribution that Phil Collins made to The Greatest Decade was so immense. And this song is a very good example of his diverse talent. You know, everybody talks about the drum fill to In the Air Tonight, but the drum fill on the song for me is just as equally as powerful and, and also placed in the perfect spot in the song that allows the track to just explode from there. Um, and him belting out the last few choruses towards the end on the song just really hits you so hard. And by the way, it was done without any heavy guitars. And right,
0: that, yeah, so what I wanted to ask you about this, how it makes the power ballad cut for you, because it's, it's not a, it doesn't exactly hue to the formula.
1: It, you could call it on the Fringe just like the, the Asia song, but even though there aren't any heavy guitars in the song, as soon as those drums kick in and it's got like the ride, you know, it's it's got like that yeah, power ballad sure. beat, it's, it's hard, it's heavy. I listened to it again, you know, make sure that it was power ballad worthy and it's 100% on.
0: You know, Steve, there's a, there's a fascinating uh, story behind this one as I was going through and doing the research. Collins' approach to write this song is the title track of the film, Against All Odds, uh, with Jeff Bridges and Rachel Ward and James Woods, came out in 84. And uh, at the time, he's, the soundtrack was being completed, and Collins was on tour with Genesis. Uh, the director, Taylor Hackford flew into Chicago to see one of the band's shows. Collins watched the movie on video cassette and uh, agreed to do a song for the soundtrack. So he had this song kicking around, originally called How Can You Just Sit There, that he wrote during the sessions for Face Value, his 1981 uh, debut solo record. It kind of fell off the table because it didn't really fit with any other tunes on the record. It didn't get included on Hello, I Must Be Going, the follow-up solo LP. Eventually, Collins presented the demo to Taylor Hackford, and he loved it, and then Collins wrote the song to fit the film, and then Arif Mardin, produced it, and they worked on it while Collins was on tour, coming on and off tour. The piano performances by a New York musician called Rob Muncie, and then Arif Mardin uh, recorded keyboard bass and strings and that kind of stuff and, and pulled it all together. So this is like one of the great moments, Steve, again, where it's like, this is a Phil Collins cast-off, in a way. And
1: then, sure. kaboom, it, you know, the, the alchemy happens, and, and there it is. It was magic. And, and you could hear it in the song. <laughs> you could hear it in the song. And just
0: before we leave that, I remember the video and, and Colin singing it with the water falling behind him. And it very, you could tell that it was written specifically for the film, the, reflect, the, the lyrics reflecting scenes in the, uh, in the movie. Beautiful. Uh, Steve, for my next pick, I'm going with Patience uh, by Guns N' Roses, an acoustic-driven song uh, from their second album, Lies, that came out in 1988. It was released as a single in 1989, peaking at number four on the Billboard Hot 100. It's all acoustic, recorded in a single session by producer Mike Klink. And it's, the, the video, if you remember it, is just the guys sitting around in a circle playing the song and Axel singing it. The motivation for the track is generally accepted to be the troublesome relationship between Rose and his now ex-wife, Erin Everly. Although that was never explicitly stated in interviews, Everly was also the inspiration for their breakout track, uh, Sweet Child of Mine. Duffy Kagan said that Axel came up with the lyric and the rest of the song just kind of fell into place. There's just some really great acoustic. There's no bass, there's no drums. Um, it's all acoustic guitar work, but it's one of those great sort of like yeah, you know, and we were used to this big anthemic st- stadium rock, Guns N' Roses. For, so for them to turn around and come out with this like 100% acoustic song uh, was a really great artistic left turn,
1: I thought. It's good, and I would call it a, sort of like a quiet power ballad. It, it was sort of like the polar opposite. You know, with within that subgenre of of power ballads, but yeah, great pick. I was never into Guns and Roses too much, but I mean, this song was huge. Still gets tons of radio play today, so definitely stood the test of time. Out of all the different songs that we're talking about here, all right, Steve, what's uh, what's up next for you? So I'm going with "Home Sweet Home" by Motley Crue, uh, released in 1985. Um, I think we were all surprised and shocked when Tommy Lee played piano on that video for the first time and uh, it it was a real change for the crew when you look at all the songs that preceded it Um, but it became an immediate hit in 1985 throughout all of 1986 and like a lot of those Motley Crue songs, they're straightforward, no nonsense, feel-good tunes that you just want to rock out to. the put you in a happy mood.
0: Yeah, Steve. Again, as much as you, as much as you were never a Guns N' Roses guy, I was never much of a Motley Crue guy. But again, I recognize this song for uh, what it is. Uh, it got a remix. I'd add in 1991, becoming "Home Sweet Home '91" with some intro- instrumental overdubs for their decade of decadence compilation record you're particularly diligent i think you can probably go ferret that one out yeah i i remember the guitar breaks i remember sort of the 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 stadium drama and there the the video with footage of them on the road playing the song it was very much the traveling rock band on the road thing wanting to be home sweet home A, a very 1980s kind of thing thing to do but you know that was something that they did very well at the time all right, Steve, uh, my final pick in our regular countdown of songs here before we delve into Honorable Mentions. Uh, we were talking about Heart a couple of minutes ago. I'm, gonna, I'm picking These Dreams from 1985, uh, written by Martin Page, who co-wrote your favorite song, We Built This City. Uh, in addition to King of Wishful Thinking by Go West, one of my favorite later wow. 80, 1980s songs, they originally offered a Stevie Nicks who turned it down. Hart had just signed a new deal to Capitol Records. And while they previously written their own material, they were impressed by the song and agreed to use it on their upcoming uh, LP. Nancy Wilson doing the lead on this one instead of Ann Wilson, a slightly more understated, uh, understated vocal. And, you know, this kind of it had this kind of gauzy kind of fantastical music video. But I um, hope that you just could, not, uh, just could not escape.
1: You know, it was weird for me to see Nancy sing this one. I, I think that was when there was some sort of inner turmoil going on within the band and the record company was sort of pushing Nancy to do some of the vocals. But I got to tell you, for me, Anne was always the better vocalist. I saw a bunch of live shows that they did in the early 2000s. Towards the end, you know, Anne would always invite a contemporary uh, great vocalist on stage to, to sort of sing, you know, one of the last songs with her. And she always blew him away, no matter who she was singing with. And just a powerful, fantastic voice that's aged really well. She still sings as good as she did 10, 15, 20 years ago. But, yeah, one of the great songs of the 80s, one of the big songs of the 80s. I was just fantastic. Love the,
0: them. The, the funny history point about this is that Nancy Wilson was actually suffering from a cold, Uh, when she recorded it and that's how i got the the gravelly tone and then producer said you know why why can't you sing like that on future records why don't you just get to catch cold again and she Uh, come on give me a break with this a great moment It was a number one hit on the uh, adult contemporary charts for the band
1: um, and one of their sort of like big pop ballads it was a fantastic decade for all absolutely all right steve we're delving into you honorable mentions what are yours I just got a couple here. Um, Journeys, why can't this night go on forever? From their Raised on Radios album, Cut. yeah, just uh, you know, total prom song in every way. Steve, I've got, I've got two uh mechanicsburg
0: pennsylvania's own favorite son's poison and i won't forget you uh from their first lp look what the cat dragged in uh peaking at number 13 on the billboard hot 100 steve everyone talks about every, every rose has its thorn as the great poison power ballad uh but for my money this track is far superior got a better uh guitar solo on it too And my other one, because Canadians have monopolized this list, I'm going to insist on it. It's Someday by Glass Tiger, uh, a co-write between the band and Jim Valance. It has the guitar solo. It's got the emotive vocal. It's got the wandering the streets alone at night, uh, breaking up with the girl quintessential 1986 video. Uh, Got a hook for days, a great keyboard line from Sam Reed, a pop and step bass line from Wayne Parker, Um, And when you see it live, there's um, one performance out there from the band, and it's heyday playing this one live, uh, really takes off as a stadium rock number as well, with Al Connolly playing uh, an extended solo on the the Coda. All right, well, that's about all the time we have for this week. I'm John. Like, share, subscribe, send us your suggestions. We're always here. We're looking forward to a big 2024.
1: And this is Steve saying, until next time, keep it cool, keep it awesome, and keep it... Totally rad.